The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. said our scripture this morning comes from Judges chapter 6. If you're using the Black Pew Bible, that can be found on page 192. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We will skip ahead some throughout the reading, and I'll let you know what verse we're at. Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of this house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall fear the gods, not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Follow down with me to verse 25. Verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, and the second bull seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now follow down to verse 33, to the end of the chapter. Verse 33. 
Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abzerites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet, meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the wool on the threshing floor, uh, if there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with this fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. The word of the Lord. So everybody... uh... Pastor Brian Hubert's going to be preaching today for us um, from uh, this chapter. Yeah, give it up for him. That's great. So I've known, yeah, encourage us, man. Come on. Uh, so I've known Brian for, well, well, a lot well over, but over 15 years. So I got great stories if you want to hear him sometime on them. Uh, but I just want to pray for him and then allow him to get in the word. So Father, I just thank you for my friend and my brother. I thank you for how you've used him in my life and in others. Um, Lord, would you quiet our hearts? Would you quiet our minds? Would you quiet his heart, quiet his mind? And Lord, we say, speak to us. Help us hear from you. Help us be changed. Lord, may the enemy flee. And would you open up the heavens and douse us with your spirit, with your encouragement, with your word through this man. Watch over him. Preach through him in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Good morning, Delta. Uh, Great to be up here this morning. Uh, We open the book of Judges, and we're moving on to our next judge, uh, Gideon. Uh, It's a story familiar to to many of us. If if you grew up in the church, you've you've probably heard this story, uh, at least the last part of the story about Gideon and his famous famous fleece. Um, Growing up, I kind of thought this was, uh, the first time I heard this, I'm like, oh, you can really discern God's will by setting a fleece out. That is something I should remember. It'll come in handy later in life. Not true at all. This is not an example for us, us to follow. I want to make that clear from the start. Um, so I, I love that story because of, of Gideon in his, his doubting, his, his weakness. But more than that, I love this story because I feel it highlights so well three precious truths about God in his dealing with humans. And as we, we go through chapter 6 this morning, we're going to see three things. We see very clearly, first, the undeserved mercy of God. Secondly, we, receive, we see the empowering presence of God. And third, we see the loving patience of God. And friends, despite our rebellion, despite Israel's rebellion, God is graciously good to his people. God is graciously good to his people. We begin in chapter 6. And the story opens, and we find that 40 years have elapsed since Deborah and, and Barak defeated Sisera. 
And in those 40 years, Israel turned away from the Lord yet, yet again. And we see the judges cycle, the cycle we've seen over and over already happen again. The Lord saves Israel, Israel flees, calls out for repentance. God saves Israel, the cycle going on and going on and going on. So 40 years later, two generations or so, and now they're, they're wandering again, wandering again. So the text reads, the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Their punishment this time is not in the form of a conqueror, not in the form of an exile. It's not in the form of an occupation, but in annual raids by the Midianites. So every year, as sure as the change of the seasons, when Israel's crops are ready, all this hard work they put into growing their crops, a raiding army would appear. The Midianites and, and some other uh, peoples around them, they'd come They'd come to Israel, they'd eat the produce of the land, they'd pillage, they'd steal, and they, the text says they would lay waste to the land. Not a pretty, pretty picture. Uh, but every year, Israel, with the hope that things might change, planted new crops, worked hard, hoped maybe, maybe this year will be the year that the Midianites will not accost us, that the Midianites will stay on their own turf and will not come and take our food. So Israel, but seven years this happens, Israel's tired, hungry, fearful. I mean, imagine this, just waiting for an invading army to come and take your stuff. You, you plant crops hoping that, boy, this year might be the year they don't come. But every year you're disappointed. And they're scared. They're so scared that they, and I don't blame them, they're so scared that they go and they run uh, from their homes and they hide themselves in caves and strongholds and dens that are in, in the cliff sides. Uh, they're living a caveman existence, in essence. It's just a miserable way to live. So Israel was brought low on account of the Midianites, and so they called out to the Lord for help again. Israel calls out to the Lord for help, and the Lord answers pretty unusually. Uh, he does not send a military leader. He does not send a conqueror. He doesn't send a warrior. He doesn't plague the Midianites. He doesn't offer supernatural deliverance to Israel. But what does he do right away? Who does he send? He sends a prophet. It's like you, your car breaking down on the side of the road. What do you need? You need a mechanic or a tow truck. And who comes along? A poet. And he tells you, oh, woe is you. Boy, you're broken down. And he writes these beautiful sonnets about you and your, your painful situation. <laughs> Israel's thinking, we don't need a prophet. We need someone to take us out of this. And what does the prophet say? Let's look at this, verse 8. The prophet says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And then the prophet recalls the command of the Lord. What was Israel supposed to do? And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice and then the prophet stops we're, we're used in reading scripture we're used to saying seeing something like but but return to me and i will return to you or we're used to seeing something like but repent and i will make things all right there's there's none of that it's a period that's the end of the prophet's message at least as far as we can read and i think as we read judges read chapter six we're supposed to feel that we're supposed to feel the abrupt end. You have not obeyed my voice, period. 
that's it. There's an accusation, an indictment, statement of fact, and then the proverbial crickets. We should feel the suspense as if God, maybe this time, might not save Israel. As if God, this time, might not give Israel another chance. He might not save them. But we read on and we find, thanks be to God, that the story of God's mercy does not end with a period. There are more mercies in Judges, in the book of Judges, and there are more mercies in the hundreds of pages after this in Holy Scripture. Indeed, God will come to the rescue of his people. Yes, God, and here's the, the, the main point, God, in spite of Israel's rebellion, in spite of Israel's rebellion, in spite of their apostasy, in, in spite of them seeking after foreign gods, God, in mercy, sends a prophet. God, in mercy, sends an angel to call Gideon, and God, in mercy, will deliver Israel again. My first point this morning is this, that God shows his people undeserved mercy. God, even though we don't deserve it, even in our rebellion, God shows his people a mercy. Now, it's easy to point the finger at Israel and be like, what a bunch of knuckleheads, right? But if we stop and think about it, I find myself in Israel's shoes nearly, nearly every day. I find myself in their shoes often. Uh, I find other things. Though, though Israel, they were seeking after other gods. Um, how many times in my life, in our lives, do we find things, other things than, than God and enjoying him to fill our time, to fill our attention, and to love? And I often find, uh, to my disgrace, more joy in the pleasures of, of this world, oftentimes, than I do in the pleasures of the Lord. But brothers and sisters, God is merciful despite our rebellion against him. And the New Testament says it like this, uh, that while we were still sinners, what did God do? He sent his son Jesus to die for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Though we were running headlong after things that aren't God, we were running headlong after pleasures and, and, and seeking things for our own benefit and our own glory, we were running away from God. But what did God do? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we might receive his mercy and have an eternal relationship with the Lord. Ephesians says it like this. Paul writes a bunch of bad news. You were, you were alienated. You were hostile. But he said in, in Ephesians 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So yes, friends, God was merciful to Israel, and he is merciful to us both to save us in our rebellion and to keep us faithful, faithful to him. So God shows his people undeserved mercy. And second, the story of Gideon shows us that God's presence empowers his people for great things. Read with me in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now I want us to think about Gideon here for a moment. Gideon is the hero who in the coming chapters is going to do great things. And God's going to use him much. But how do we meet him? What is he doing? He is beating out wheat 
in a wine press. It's easy to read over that. But this one phrase tells us so much about Gideon's predicament. I'm not a farmer, but when you raise crops, particularly wheat or grains or cereals, when you harvest them, what you harvest, there is a lot of, of the plant that is not edible. And it needs to be removed from the part that is edible. The little kernel of, of wheat needs to be removed from the straw and the chaff. So how you do that now, you use a combine or a mechanized process. But how you did it back then is you used, there was a process where you'd go to what is called a threshing floor. And a threshing floor would be a large stone surface, usually on an elevated place. And on that large stone surface, you, you would put your wheat, all that you collected from your field. You'd have your ox walk over it, or you would have your ox drag a log behind him to crush the wheat, or you would beat that wheat with a stick in order just to separate what is edible from what's not edible. And at that point, you would use what's called a winnowing fork. It's like a pitchfork, and you'd throw it high into the air. When you throw it high in the air, you're hoping the wind catches all that is not edible. The chaff, the light stuff will go away, and what will come down is kernels of wheat the grain, the actual good things to eat. So you do that on a threshing floor. And it was very visible. It was usually one town had them. It was in the center of the town or on a high place. And it's very visible because you're throwing stuff in the air. You have oxen. But Gideon is not on a threshing floor. Where is he? He's in a wine press. What a wine press is, a wine press is below grade. It's a, it's a carved out area of a rock. It's vats, if you will. So when you harvest your grapes, you throw your grapes in the wine press, and there's a system of, of, of vats, and you, you crush the grapes, and it flows to a lower vat, and there it ferments. There you, you, you put it in your jugs and jars. But the wine press, the key here is it's below grade. So when we meet Gideon, he's below grade. He's below ground. He's down low. And he's beating out his wheat in cramped quarters. He should be on a threshing floor, throwing it up in freedom. But he's in a wine press. He's humble, he's lowly, he's hiding, he's fearful, and likely he's scared. So Gideon, when we meet him, is not the epitome of almighty man of valor. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. Now Gideon must have looked around. Because he wasn't seeing anyone that had valor here. He's hiding. And I think this is ir ironic. Uh, the, the author of Judges is making a point. The juxtaposition of almighty man of valor to what we see Gideon doing is comical. And Gideon also must have thought, uh, who me? And then he also must have thought, and, and who is with us? The Lord is with me? Gideon's response is, is one of doubt. He doubts himself. And he doubts the Lord. And I feel that I make this mistake all the time. Gideon says, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon is looking at his present circumstances, which admittedly are not great. And he's trying to remember what his dad or what his, his ancestors taught him about the Lord rescuing them from Egypt, and, and they're not, not meshing. So Gideon's saying, where is the Lord? Why has this happened if God is with us? 
Now, how many times do I do this? How many times do we do this? If, if God is so good, if he's with me, then why did blank, blank, or blank happen? If, if God is with me, why am I suffering? Why am I persecuted? Why am I oppressed? Why am I unhappy? Why am I fill in, in the blank? And notice, I, I can resonate with Gideon here. But what answer does the Lord give him? Really, no direct answer to his question. Instead, the Lord says, Go in this might of yours and save Israel. Gideon disagrees, saying, My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the weakest in my family. So completing the picture of Gideon, we see him in a position of a weakness, in a wine press. And he himself understands his own predicament, his own limitations. He's a little grumbly. He's probably hungry. He's famished. He's tired of oppression. And he's, he's a true picture of weakness. But God sees him differently. God sees him differently. Gideon is God's man. Gideon is God's chosen. And so what is the Lord's answer to Gideon? Verse 16. Uh, and notice it says, it doesn't say the angel of the Lord says to him. Verse 16, the Lord says to him, I will be with you. See, Gideon just doesn't, God doesn't just see our outward appearance. God doesn't see our current situation. Uh, God sees us for what we can become by his grace. God sees us for what he will accomplish through us by his power. And the basis for both of these things is God being, being with, with us. And I'm struck by the phrase, O mighty man of valor. Uh, it's not what things appear to be. And upon reflection, Gideon, thinking about his life, must have cherished this phrase. He must have remembered the time that the angel appeared to him and said, O mighty man of valor. That probably made him feel empowered. Now, I had a situation similar to this. Well, I'll let you decide how similar it was. I wasn't in a wine press. I was on the phone with customer service. And uh, it might have been my favorite cable company, Dan Luce, in the house. I, I don't know. I forget who it was with. But I was with, on the phone with customer service, and I was speaking with someone who I could tell English was not their native language. And so a lot of times when, when I'm on the phone with a customer service, um, they mispronounce my name. They, Mr. Herbert, Mr. Hubbard, Mr. You know, uh, who knows how many iterations of my last name, or they call me Mr. Brian. But, but I can't remember if this was a man or a woman. But you know what they called me? Sir Brian. <laughs> now that's, that's something I could get used to, right? Sir Brian. I, tried, I thought about implementing that in the house, but I don't think that would uh, get too far. Um, but Sir Brian. And so even in that just like... It made me laugh, but it also made me feel a little more special. Now, that is such a minuscule example compared to how Gideon must have felt when the Lord uh, said he was going to be with him, and he called him a mighty man of valor. Brothers and sisters, never discount what God can do through, air quotes, an ordinary person simply because God is with him and God is empowering him. We see oftentimes throughout Scripture that God uses the weak and the unlikely to do great things. If you think about Gideon, uh, if we're using modern terminology, Gideon wasn't from a Christian home, right? His dad, Joash, had an altar to Baal and had an Asherah pole. I mean, so maybe he knew about the Lord, but he definitely wasn't 100% committed and 100% loyal. So we could say Gideon wasn't from a Christian family. Gideon lived during a rough time of oppression when, when the culture, uh, the Midianites, were, were oppressing them. Uh, Gideon was hiding. He's not the embodiment of anything we would consider 
consider mighty, but we will see that the Lord will use Gideon mightily simply because God is with him and God is empowering him. And this is a theme throughout Scripture. One of the memory verses we have in our household, Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? How can we do this? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Bump forward to the New Testament. In the book of Matthew, an angel appears to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, in a dream. He says, you're gonna, Mary's going to conceive and, and bear a child, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus, when he left his disciples, when he left his friends on this earth, when he ascended up into heaven, what's one of the last things he said to him? He says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So maybe, maybe you aren't the most brave, the most intelligent. Maybe you're not mighty. Maybe you lack valor. Maybe the world is against you. Maybe you have a background that you're not proud of, a background that you wish you could change. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord is with you. And he's empowering you. And he'll equip you for great things. And I don't mean just like sell all your stuff, go to the Amazon and preach to the lost tribes. I mean, maybe that. Maybe that's what God's calling to you, you too. But I'm talking about other hard and great things too. The Lord is with you so you can withstand the pain of suffering, of loss, of heartbreak, and illness the Lord is with you because so you can be a good husband, a good wife, a good father, or a good mother. That's a hard thing, but you can do that because God's with you. You can survive career setbacks, financial hardship, and rough times. Why? Because God is with you. You can spread God's kingdom through telling others about him, even though you lack courage and lack faith. Why? Because God is with you. And you can live faithfully in a world that oppresses you, that does not know God. Why? Believer in Christ, because God is with you. These are all great things and hard things for us to do, but fear not. Believer in Christ, God is with you. God's presence is with his children, and that presence empowers them. Third thing we see in the story of Gideon is that God shows his people loving patience. God shows his people loving uh, patience. Now, the part that, that we skipped over in reading scripture this morning, after the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, Gideon wants to know that the angel of the Lord is the real deal, and not just some, some guy, you know, feeding him a line. And so uh, uh, Gideon prepares a little a, a meal, and, and fire comes from the rock and consumes it. So Gideon believes, yes, this angel, this person is an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord. I can believe what he's saying and so Gideon gets his first mission, verse 25. Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there, here, with stones laid in due order. And then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon gathers 10 of his men and he does all that the Lord commands. But one little detail, verse 27. But because he was too afraid 
of his family and the men of the town to do it by day. He did it by night. So I, I, I mean, I've never been in a situation like this. I've never had to do something that public in defending my faith. So I can't, I can't throw rocks and throw stones at Gideon. But mighty man of valor Gideon is, is not only afraid of the Midianites, he's afraid of his family, he's afraid of his town, so that he does this by night. And I think we can learn, learn a little something from this. So the important thing was that, that Gideon obeyed the Lord. He did what he commanded. And God didn't say do it by day. He didn't say don't do it by night. But we see Gideon's fear. Even though Gideon had such, a, such, such an experience with that angel of the Lord, Gideon's still afraid. There's some trepidation. And so after this mission, we read that the annual raid of the Midianites was about to begin. The Midianites and the Amalekites are back. They're camping, and they're ready for the annual pillaging. And now this one weird scene, the famous scene. Gideon calls all of his men together. They're ready to go to war. And after remaining alive, after destroying an altar to Baal, after seeing an angel of the Lord and seeing a sign from God that God's message was authentic, that the, that the message to Gideon was authentic, Gideon still needs another sign. He needs God to confirm his own plans. Verse 36, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. There is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground. Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. That's, that's no mistake. I mean, that's a significant amount of dew on a small fleece. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me chest just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry in the fleece only, and all the ground let there be dew. And what did God do? God said, no way. No, that's not what God did. God said, God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece alone, and on all the ground there was dew. And sure enough, in Gideon's weakness, in Gideon's doubting, in Gideon's lack of trust, God answers him not once, but twice. Two answers. Now, I find this so incredible. I can't fault Gideon because I've never had to do the things Gideon does but the man i mean it's just like gideon if, if you're just reading the story you're like gideon get it together man like man up let's do this thing but gideon with trepidation and fear and doubt and maybe a lack of trust needs a sign from god and we in this we see god's loving patience towards gideon god didn't have to provide these signs god could have said well gideon i thought you were my guy but man you got to trust me? Sorry. Next. But God doesn't do that. He's not done with Gideon. God stoops down. He condescends to Gideon, and he patiently answers him. Friends, sometimes we lose sight of God's patience in our own doubt and lack of trust. And I felt that keenly uh, this year. As, as many of you know, this year has been a, been a hard year for us, the Huberts. Um, had a period of unemployment, kind of financial hardship, and just these, these doubts of, boy, God, I know you said you're going to take care of us, but, uh, but will you? 
in, in little fears of what happens if this, what happens if this, and big questions of like, what am I doing with my life? Where are you calling me, God? And so all that to say this, is just in the past year I've been keenly aware of my own doubt, my own lack of trust. And sometimes when, when myself condemns myself, boy, you don't, you don't trust God. You have no faith, Brian. I need to remember the attribute we call God's patience. That he's lovingly patient with his children. God is patient with us. He meets us where we are, and he helps our faith. Gideon's situation is unique. Not many of us will be in the exact situation uh, he is. I'd say none of us will be. But a commentator says this. Gideon's is a unique situation. Yet there is, I think, a theological spillover from this text for all God's flock. And that's this. God is not ashamed to stoop down and reassure us in our fears. Would we, if we were thinking, call our three-year-old sissy or chicken because he was afraid of a big neighborhood dog? And the answer is no. He is patient in order to bolster our fragile faith, our wavering grip on his word. Praise the Lord that he is patient with me, with my wife, with all of his people. Despite, despite moments of, of, of lacking faith, of our trust being placed in something else other than the Lord and his provision, God is patient with us. The psalmist says this, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And these are good words. And you'll find that if, if you search for, for that phrase, it is littered throughout the Old Testament. God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Friends, God is lovingly patient with his children. When we doubt and we struggle with trust, God doesn't say, scorch, you're done, next. No, he meets us where we are. He condescends to us, and he helps us along. He gives us grace. And if someone has plenty of shortcomings, doubts, and failures, dwelling on God's patience is a good exercise for me. So friends, we've talked a lot about Gideon. And we see that almost, like almost all other biblical heroes, that he has some character faults. He, he needs several signs from God before proceeding. He is afraid of others to obey God's command in the light. And so he obeys it in the night when no one is watching. And third, he doesn't understand Israel's true situation. He says, where, where is the Lord? When in reality, it was they who left the Lord. See, Gideon, the biblical hero, Gideon, the biblical hero, is surpassed in every good way by our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can say that 
I think we can say this. We can say that Jesus is the better Gideon. Unlike Gideon, Jesus perfectly understood Israel's situation. He understood that humans rebelled, that they left the Lord, and they needed rescuing. Unlike Gideon, Jesus obeyed perfectly and completely, trusting God the Father, not needing sign after sign. And third, unlike Gideon, Jesus Christ obeyed the Lord fully during the day, being crucified publicly for all to see. And Jesus is not only the better Gideon, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of God's mercy, his presence, and his patience. Jesus showed mercy to those around him. Bartimaeus, the the blind beggar, began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what did Jesus do? Jesus healed him. He said, go, your faith has made you well. Mercy. Jesus' presence with his people empowers them for service. How bold were his disciples when they were around Jesus? And we see that when Jesus was was gone for a bit, before the Holy Spirit came at at Pentecost, they were a a little scared. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus was patient. He had some hard-headed disciples, and he has a hard-headed disciple. He's patient with sinners. So believer in Christ, my call is for us to remember. Remember that in our best times and our worst times, our Lord is merciful. He's present with us. And he's patient with us. Israel and their rebellion was loved by God and helped by God. So we too, on our best days and our worst days, God is merciful. He's present. And he is undeservedly patient toward us. If you don't know Jesus this morning, those things aren't necessarily true of you. So my call to you, if you don't know Jesus, is turn to him. Follow him. Seek him. Give your life to him. He is patient. He's waiting for you, I'd say. He is merciful. He has mercy on sinners, those in need of them. And there is no better place to be than in his presence. Let's pray. God is.